Hi guys and welcome to this episode of the Comedy Defect Podcast. My name's Winter Fonander, I'm a comedian and this is my show. So welcome to the show guys. Those of you that are new to the show, welcome. Those of you that are old to the show, welcome back guys. This is the first one in a while. Now I've been away in Edinburgh and I've been doing my Edinburgh show, my first, that was a 45 minute show guys. So uh, yeah, it was great, thanks for asking. Uh, Four of the shows were bad and to be fair I was playing my show in a tent so let me tell you how that went so there's a lot of background noise coming from the courtyard of the Free Sisters and that was all bleeding into my tent and that was fine you know you've got to compartmentalize noises when you're playing in a rather rowdy area so that was fine compartmentalized that noise and then uh, there was another noise with a walkie-talkie up against the I say wall use that term loosely against the wall of the tent and that kind of distracted all of the people that were in the tent because it made them feel terrified because they didn't know, because of all the terrorist things going on, it just, people are on high alert no matter where where you are these days. And that walkie-talkie going off five times, you know, it spread out throughout the show. It wasn't all at once, just five times throughout the show, just distracted everyone enough for me not to get them all on board. It was going fine. And then another day, it was just a tough going. There was a smell of puke there. But a day after that, I had a reviewer in, the only reviewer I had for my show, and it was going great. But that morning, they had 80 barrels delivered to the courtyard. And so I was going great guns. I saw the reviewer laughing. It was going well. Then the staff of the bar started to move those 80 barrels down into the cellar. So every five seconds, he just heard, Kong, Kong, Kong. It's like I was getting gonged off every five seconds, which was tough. But the reviewer left halfway through, and I don't think the reviews come out now. But you know what? I tell you this, right? I had the best fringe this year. It was great, so much fun. Uh, I had audiences were great, apart from those four shows, and just had a, such a great time. That was, so that was my Edinburgh fringe, guys. Uh, and if you came up to see me, great. Thanks for coming up, guys. But if you didn't, that's fine. I'll be I'll be taking it around somewhere else, and I'll be doing another show at the Leicester comedy festival in february and you'll hear more about that soon but i've come back with been inspired i saw so many shows while i was up there i had so many i did so many gigs i did saw so many shows i had such a wonderful time a great fringe but i came back i slept on a blow-up bed because <laughs> it's glamorous the fringe uh, for the whole month and when i sleep in a bed now i get a bit paranoid that i'm gonna fall off of it but that's fine uh, i came back with a horrendous flu which i've just gotten over but but, you know, I'm okay now. But, hey, that's what it is. But, hey, I had a great French, as I say. But, you know, I'm just, I'm just so inspired and so pumped about what's gonna, the next year is going to offer. But this episode is episode 53 uh, with a very funny comedian. Uh, I met her a few years ago, and she's doing great. She's killed the gong at the comedy store. She's become king or queen of the gong in the comedy store. She's doing really well for herself. Uh, it's a character called Sally Firth. Her name's Sean Doty, and I'm going to talk about her later in this show as well. If you like this podcast, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, uh, you can find us on Patreon if you'd like to donate. You can donate as little as a pound, or as much as you feel this podcast is worth. And those of you that do donate, thanks, but those of you that don't donate, that's okay. Just share your favourite episode, leave us a nice review, because a new update on, on the uh, iPhone is really easy to leave a review for your podcast now. So go and do that, because it all helps. This is an excellent episode with Sean Doty, very funny comedian, and the comedy store, she, she's doing her first 10-minute spot 
in the Comedy Store on the 13th of October. So go and support her there and go and see her. She's absolutely great. You're going to really enjoy this episode. I really love talking to Sean. She's a very funny woman and a really lovely person. So enjoy this episode, episode 53. It's the first one in a while and it's a great one. Enjoy. Sean Doty, welcome to The Comedy Defect. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you very much for asking me. I'm honoured. Uh, but thank you for coming on. Yes, thank you for coming it's a pleasure. On. And uh, so what have you been up to? I'm preparing for the Camden Fringe at the moment. Yeah. I'm going up to Edinburgh for the third time this year just to be part of other people's shows. But in the meantime, I've got together with some other old people all over 50 to do a show called Three Men and a Babe. That wasn't my idea. I'm the babe, but it wasn't my idea to be the babe. Mm. And we, we took it to Hastings Fringe and we yes. had, a, had a fun time there. And we're doing a five-day run at the Camden Fringe in August. Right. And we're looking forward to that. We're not working together. It's a compilation show, so right. we're doing 10 or 15 minutes each with, a, with, a, with an MC. Yeah. And the name of your character is Sally... Sally Firth, yes. Sally Firth. She's really me. Somebody did ask me. Uh, well, you know how similar she is to me. She really is me. I, I started off doing stand up as myself, and after about a year, a couple of things happened that made me think that I had nowhere else to go. Mm. And I invented Sally as a response to the young men I'd met mm. on the circuit. Um, I'd spent a lot of time in open mic clubs, and I'd seen young men talking about the same topics, which they still do, <laughs> <laughs> mostly around sex. Yeah. I don't quite know when it happened. Well, I think it did happen after a particularly bad gig when people mm. weren't laughing at something yeah. I'd, I'd been doing. And I went away and somewhere got Sally out of nowhere. When she started off, she was really rude because mm. I concentrated on the rude aspect of what these men talked about. And it went down very well in the open mic clubs because they knew what I was talking about. Mm. But when I started to get proper jobs in village halls and things like that. Mm. And once I did a school gig, and when I opened... I'm not quite sure what I'm allowed to say on here. Anything, you when, say anything. I, when I opened with my first line used to be, I've got my son's act here, my, my notebook here, I'm going to do his act, I used to say, and the first thing he's written is wanking, mm-hmm. which I said went down well in, you know, <laughs> below a pub and another pub, but not in uh, Wokingham School Hall. Mm. And they just looked at me. Mm. I've learned from that. So I, I, I moved things around a bit and I started off with the, the cleaner stuff. Yeah. And if I do 20 minutes, I do add in the rude stuff because they've got used to me then. Yeah. But I find it works better if, I, if I'm just saucy. Yeah. You've softened them up for us, haven't you? Yes, that's, that's it. it. I've, I mean, I've learned with my nearly 400 gigs, I have learned so mm. much. Oh. Uh, I've had some dreadful gigs, as we all have, but I'd like to think nearly every single gig is mm. worth doing because you, you get you take something away from every gig. That's true. You certainly you get stronger, don't you? Just build up that comedy callus. Yes, and, and just you either meet somebody that you get on with, you meet somebody who gives you a gig and you learn every time from what you do. Mm. I'm very lucky and that I'm very rarely heckled. But when I am heckled or something happens in the audience, I'm completely nonplussed. That's something I still have to work on. But you also have that... Uh, you're, you're a teacher, aren't you? I well? am a teacher. I, pretend, I, I actually don't believe I'm a teacher sometimes, right. but yes, I am a teacher. And you teach you teach uh, children with special needs, isn't it? Some of them have got special needs. Right. The job... Um, yeah, my day job mostly is working with children who aren't in school. Some of them aren't in school because they've behaved badly, they've been excluded. The pupil support team keeps them... It going until they go back to school or sometimes they don't go back to school mm. at all some of them are out of school because they're unwell I've had two little boys with leukaemia in the past no. couple of years some of the girls are pregnant it's all sorts of things mm. that, um, they're registered at Hillingdon schools and they're out of school and we teach them in the meantime mm. uh, yeah, some of them have got special needs I've, I've, I've had quite a lot of autistic uh, children in, mm. in the past and that's very interesting of course because 
I was thinking about this on, on the way over. There's a, there's a lot of, there seem to be a lot of autistic comedians. It's very interesting because I've only ever met young autistic people. Mm. And I saw somebody the other day, another one autistic, um, I think it was um, Luke Poulton, who I don't really know, but mm. I did a gig with him a few days ago. And he, he said at the end, they say if you've met one autistic person, you've only met one autistic person. <laughs> and it's true because every mm. single autistic person is different. And even though I've taught loads of autistic, mostly boys, I still can't spot an autistic adult. Mm-hmm. Again, I did a gig on Saturday and the chap came up to me, who I'd gigged with once before. We had a chat, he borrowed my pen, he came back, gave the pen back to me, he went on stage, he said, oh, I've got autism. I thought, how did I not spot yeah. it? Because yeah. I work with these boys all the time and I, they're all, every single one's different. Can you talk about the, what happened recently? With you, because you had gotten into a bit of a situation, didn't you? When you used to, you when I was attacked, I'd forgotten yeah. I told you about that. Yes, I don't mind talking about that. Yes, and I've been doing my day job on and off, apart from when they made me redundant and then they grabbed me back because they were shorter people. I've been doing my day job on and off for about 12 years, and I do go into people's homes. I either meet them in the library or in their homes. Uh, but when you meet them in their homes, obviously a parent has to be there or somebody over 18 and I have been working with this boy big year, year 6 I mean he's, all, he's 11 or 12 he, he's quite hefty mm. and uh, he likes his food and that is relevant to the story mm. <laughs> and I, I was working at home with him and he had been giving well there were three teachers going in and we're all little mm. we're all little ladies and the other little ladies even smaller than me had had a bit of a problem with him when she got up to go at the end of the session he grabbed her hand and, and wouldn't let go mm-hmm. bent her thumb back we were aware that there were problems, but his mother was always there. And uh, this happened, yes, it happened in the February half-term of this year. It was the Friday, uh, just before the end of that half-term, because it, there was nobody around, really. So, I, yes, I went into his house aware that there had been a problem in the past. Everything started fine. He sat down next to me. But I should have remembered that we were told by, by our boss to always have an escape route. <laughs> but I didn't have one because I, he had they got an L-shaped uh, living room and we used to sit at the dining table and it was in the L-shape. Right. And he was sitting on my left and I was boxed into the bit where the patio doors were. And without going into too much detail because it's a bit tedious, he tried to... He's, he's, a, he's an Asian boy and he, had, he, he, he wears um, one of these... He's a Sikh boy, he wears one of those little... Mm. scarves on his head before he gets a turban he tried to put he brought one in and tried to put one on me mm. and I pushed him I didn't push him I just held my hands up and mm. asked him to stop mm. and, he'd, and and then his mother was in the room and I said can you tell him that's not appropriate mm. and of course I said he's he also he's autistic but he's mm. only recently been diagnosed and his his parents they they find it they're very very ashamed they don't know how mm. to deal with it and um when I tried to to stop him he went mad and he oh. um he grabbed, I was wearing my glasses, he grabbed my glasses and he pulled them off my face and he snapped, he, he, he pushed them back and sort of dropped them yeah. on the floor and the lens fell out. So I, I got up and said, I'm going to, you know, I, I said, well, I can't teach you now, I haven't mm. got my glasses, not, yeah. oh, I must get out of here. Of course. I couldn't get out because he backed me into a corner, mm. again, only, uh, with, again, you know, behind the dining table and it all happened very quickly but I did manage to get out and I was almost get there but two things happened one he grabbed my handbag mm. and um, as you know if a woman's handbag is grabbed she becomes a mad thing mm. and then I really got angry mm. and went after him mm. got my handbag back went to the front door and I had, I had we'd, we'd, we'd take our shoes off like many people and I picked up one boot because it was winter and he picked up my other boot 
and ran off with it. So eventually I got the boot back. His mother distracted him and um, I escaped. Luckily, she left the front door unlocked and the key was on high, so he didn't know. And after that, (laughs) two things happened. I realised that I should read instructions more carefully and not think that I was... That you know that I couldn't be hurt, and also I decided to go back to contact lenses. Um, <laughs> apparently, lots of autistic children do have a problem with glasses, which oh. I didn't know. Oh, right. And lots of teachers wear glasses, so we must be upsetting them all the time. Yeah. So I started wearing contact lenses again, and uh, and in, as Sally, I was wearing glasses on stage because my part of my act involves a notebook, mm. and so I'm now wearing contact lenses on stage. Mm. So that's a bit of a change for me. Yeah. But I like it. I like it because, like most women, I think I look better without my glasses. Mm. I ever found this like when I I, well, I gigged in Dublin for a bit, and I I had uh, like I found that when I wore glasses, the audience give you just a little bit more. You've got a weakness. <laughs> you know? Well, it's very interesting. I was watching something, and I can't remember his name. I was watching um, live from the BBC. There's been a series of mm. um, there's been a Sarah Pascoe one, yeah. a John Robbins one, which of course are fascinating because they mm-hmm. were living together and they're talking about each other right and i saw another chap a couple of days ago and i can't remember his name which is awful but he said at the beginning he's quite young and he said i've recently started wearing glasses i had to wear them and i have to wear them on stage and he said exactly what you said the audience treat you differently Mm -hmm. if you've got glasses on not quite sure how but they just do they do there's a different energy they go oh i've got glasses and they kind of feel sorry for you a little bit. <laughs> you know? oh, okay. I, okay. No, I think, I mean, not, not, that's a gen- massive sweeping generalisation. There, there is something different. There is, definitely. Yes. Definitely. It's like um, a Woody Allen classic, you know. Um, yeah. But it's like, but you know, of course he has the, the, the diminutive stature as well to go with the whole thing. Um, there's a, an act as well from the north called Simon Lomas. Who, oh, I know him. Know, I've, I've met him, and yes. He, and he look, he's very slight build and like yeah. has glasses and... And on stage, he, you know, he he also automatically looks funny, doesn't he? He's always, he looks vulnerable all yes, automatically, yes, and that's yeah. it. They kind of give you a little bit, maybe sometimes depends on what you talk about as well. But that's okay, say generalization. But you're teaching these autistic kids now. That was, I mean, I'm, that was terrifying. I'm sure, yeah. Yes, it was. I, it was. I can't. But the inter- interesting thing is that the whole thing happened over ten minutes. Oh. Because I, he'd been, he'd gone out of the room to say he said he wanted to go to the loo, and he was away such a long time. I had written in my notes. I don't normally write notes during a lesson, but he was away such a long time. I'd, I'd actually written down quarter to one, quarter to two. He hasn't got back, hmm. and then then I looked up and he had got back. And then when I finally found myself in my car, mm. and I had to jump, I jumped in my car and I drove very short distance up the road because I didn't have my glasses mm. on. And then I phoned my boss and it was five to two. So the whole thing only mm. lasted ten minutes, but it seemed like a long time. Mm, of course. Um, it was frightening. And uh, oh, oh, I should have said that his mother was no help at all because mm. she was clearly frightened of him too. She was oh. just screaming the whole time. It's also very undignified uh, as a teacher to be attacked and when I got home I had a big I've got a photograph on my phone I, I, I my, my, there was my my forehead was bleeding oh. um but it was it was really shocking but yeah. in some ways I've blotted the whole thing out because I said it was a Friday afternoon it was the Friday before February half term mm. and I did manage to reach my boss and she said shall I come and get you because mm. you said you, your glasses are broken I said well actually I've got some prescription sunglasses and right. I can get home and then I went home, and then it was half term, and I didn't hear anything from anybody. Mm. It was just like it never happened. Yeah. But 
I, of course, I, none of us went back into his house ever. Mm. There was a lot of discussion about how we would deal with it, but mm. afterwards it turned out he'd done a lot of lot worse things than we were ever told. Right. And uh, I haven't been into a new person's home environment since. Um, I'm only teaching people in the library. Okay. But the last person I was supposed to teach in the library, he sounded absolutely horrific. And because of what had happened, I said to my boss... Um, you know, if I ha- if if he behaves in the way that you've mentioned, I think I shall have to ask him to leave. Said, of course, of course, but he never turned up to any lessons. He was wouldn't come. That happens as well. Yes, he was. It was. But but I've done this job for a long time, and maybe I was getting a bit complacent. Right. It's difficult, I think, for some parents. I mean, not, not that that helps your situation at all. I think a lot of parents they they have this. This fantasy, don't they? They don't want to believe that their child is autistic, isn't it? Absolutely. And and, they, and, and, mm. and, and, and some some cultures believe that, that it can be cured. Mm. Uh, but many he was he was eleven, ten or eleven or twelve, and he'd only just been diagnosed. And this is something I find baffling. Mm. But then again, I, I I'm not I'm, I haven't got a child with special needs, mm. so I don't know how I would how I would be. But but he you know he'd, he'd gone all through his life being violent and unpredictable. And not understanding things, yeah. maybe again because of their culture, they didn't want to find out. They mm. they thought he was just a bit difficult. Yeah. But he was the youngest of the family. Uh, he had two older sisters, and apparently he'd um, uh, hurt both of oh, them. No. But, but he couldn't help it, and he was on medication. But I think the day that I was there, his mum had forgotten to give him give him some. Oh, it was a perfect storm for you then, eh? That's yes, yes. I yeah. did at one point shout something. It sounds inane, you know, get him a biscuit, because I know he liked his food, I wanted her to distract him, but she didn't, <laughs> she didn't take any notice. It's like that often saying, isn't it? It's like that silly heckle uh, retort, you know, when you're on stage and someone heckles you and you go, give that man a biscuit. <laughs> well, I think about that. I, I, I'm searching, at the moment, you can give me some advice, I'm sure. searching for what to, what to do when someone's mobile goes off, because right. it happened to me the other day, mm. and I know... uh, traditionally the comedian walks towards the offending person and and picks up the mobile and answers it and I couldn't do it, he was too far away Mm. and he wouldn't hand it over but he took the call and I was stumped and I, and I need a really good line for when a mobile goes off because and, I, and it's and I, it's going to happen again. Mm. Somebody said you've got to write that answer now because mm. it's going to happen again. Yeah, you need to think of something. So you need to embarrass him somehow, don't you? <laughs> yes, that's fine. We can, do, we can figure that out afterwards. Yeah, for sure. Because that's uh, yeah, that's difficult. It's annoying. And how ignorant to do that to actually carry on answering the telephone call. Yeah, yeah. Now, where was that? A, a gig above a pub where people had come for comedy. It mm. wasn't one, like one of those ones where you hold the uh, the customers hostage and mm. they don't want to be there. They'd come upstairs. <laughs> He'd come upstairs to see the comedy. It was a really good atmosphere. Everything was fine. Uh, and he didn't seem to realise... He didn't seem to think that there was a problem. I, mm. I think MCs have stopped telling people to turn their phones off mm. because they assume people will do it. Mm. The thing in a pub, it's not like a theatre. Yeah. People want to carry on with their lives and they don't want to miss anything. But, yeah. no, he didn't He didn't try and turn it off. He, he, he started answering it. <laughs> so you've been going how many years now, Sean? Nearly four. Right. I started... Well, I went on a course... September 2013, mm. I went on a stand-up comedy course, and at the end of that... Sorry, which one was that? I think it's called Comedy Novices, and it's still right. going. It's run by a chap called Bentley, Bentley Browning. Mm-hmm. Have you, you met yes, him? Yes, I met him. Yes, yes. Yeah. There's quite a few of us Comedy Novices about, and when I met Bentley, he was uh, 
playing in a band as well and uh, earning a bit of a living as a David Cameron impersonator <laughs> but there's no, no call for that now oh, yeah. uh, so it was, it was good fun the course now I did English music and drama teacher training college so quite a lot of the exercises that Bentley used were not unfamiliar to me mm. and it was useful mm. but in the end obviously gigging is what you have to do mm. but I'm very grateful for Bentley for getting me into it and also the other people on the course who were real lovely bunch of people, all ages. A lot of them were people who'd not moved to London very long and they did it as a way of making friends. Mm. Also, it was on Meetup. Some of them would come via Meetup. Mm. I found it on a, a website called Star Now because I'd also done work as a film extra. All right. And that's where I found it. Yeah. And so it was, it was a very short course, but it was a lot of fun. And at the end of it, Bentley arranged a showcase afternoon and evening at a pub called The Washington in Belsize Park. Mm-hmm. And... Somehow or other from there, and it's all a bit blurred, because I was also going through divorce at the time, a lot of things were a bit blurred, I found out about the Comedy Collective on Facebook, which has been so <laughs> useful. <laughs> Why are you laughing? No, I just, no, I just, it's, like, it's, it's, such a, it's such a torrent of, of, of other stuff apart from comedy as well. <laughs> Isn't it? No, you're right, it is. It can be just for, like, it can be used for... Uh, for good and I mean you can dip in and out of it but it's just such a a, a tirade of of abuse on there sometimes isn't there oh I see uh, oh, I mean, the, like because he said you when, mean the comedy collective that's it when you say useful I was like it can be certainly used, used as useful but it can get a bit out of hand sometimes oh it? yes yes um, yeah. I just watch you know yeah, uh, after, with my packet of popcorn as me, they say same thing. Yeah. <gasps> some amazing stuff and I, and, I, and I feel sorry for the people who started it because that's not what they meant it for mm. and they're very they're very tolerant of some of the stuff that goes on but at the same mm. time it's also fascinating yeah. yes that's how I got all my original London gigs there's a very special place in my heart for Jamie McGraw and Heavenly mm. Comedy because yeah. that was my first proper gig Great. been there been back there probably I don't know half a dozen times mm. since then I was there a couple of weeks ago that, that was my first proper gig and I enjoyed it and that was emceed by Elf Lyons who mm-hmm. now is doing really well yeah so it's very exciting seeing the people that I that were around when I started all mm. getting famous. Yeah, <laughs> exciting. Yeah. I think yes. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> yes. And so you uh, you had your first gig uh, at the Washington. But yeah, that was the showcase gig, mm. and um, the people there were all friends and family, and they were mm. very uh, supportive and sympathetic. And um, one of the other comedy novices, he chickened out and he didn't want to do his spot, mm. but he very kindly filmed everybody else. Right. And he filmed me, so I actually have a record of my very first gig, and it's still on YouTube, and I should take it down, but I haven't. Brilliant. And it's fascinating. It's brilliant. To look at that now. So far you've come, like, it's great. Yes. You said you changed to doing Sally Firth. Uh, what was the moment? What, why? What happened? Well, I know, in a way, I did a gig at um, Monkey Business. Yes. Uh, yes, and I'm not uh, slightly off monkey business, uh, but uh, I died. Mm. I, I did. I did a gig at monkey business one. I think it was a Saturday night. I, w- I was on really late, and they didn't find me funny. Mm. And they didn't. You just, you know, just sort of sat there with their arms folded. Mm. And I remember I, I got. I came out of there, and I rang Sandra Hale, who's a really good friend. You've had her on. I know mm. she's a really good friend of mine. I met through comedy, and I'll always be grateful for that. And I. You know, and I was very depressed about how badly it had gone, and maybe I don't know what happened exactly, but it was just after that mm. I started again. I thought maybe I need to do something mm. very strange, but I know it was after that 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 gig where mm. I'd been doing stuff I'd been doing for ages, and it didn't didn't go well. And then I 
started working on Sally and honestly mm. I can't I'd always had an idea mm. that it would be fun because I don't look like a stand-up comedian and I'd always had an idea it would be fun to come on and say look uh, I'm, I'm here by mistake and I just had to work out why I was there mm. I know and some other there's another comedian who pretends that she thinks she's also elder she's older than me right. she pretends she's she's come to a yoga class or something or, or Weight Watchers or mm. something like that and I thought I decided I would pretend that I was I was there in place of my son mm. and it was it was and that that was after I've been gigging for just over a year and I and I, I invented Sally just before I went to Edinburgh for the first time. That was very exciting. Mm. So yes, it came out. It came out of a bad gig, as yeah. so many things do. I it comes think. out of pain, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> I've not. I'm, I've only go through that again. Yeah. And and uh, in the main, the character mm. Sally works well, but sometimes people don't realise that it's a joke. Mm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, but I'm, 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 I get I'm learning all the time, yes. Yeah. And people ask me why she's called Sally. And that's because my ex-husband's living with a woman called Sally. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if she dies, it's, it's her that dies, right? Well, I, I don't know. I just, it just it, it made me feel good. Yeah, you know, of course. Just a bit of fun. When I invented her, they said, you've got to give her a name. And because she was just, she was just comedy mum. That, that also, once I did a gig and the MC was about 20 and he introduced me as his comedy mum... And I, 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 I just, I thought that was quite funny, and oh. so it was. It was born of lots of different things, and mm. so I, I met Sally. So Sally first, it's a pun on Sally is a joke, yeah. and Sally fourth, which very few people realise, right. it's a pun on Sally fourth. Yeah. So you don't mind? You didn't mind that comedian calling you comedy, the comedy mom? No, oh, I'm oh, old right. enough to be. Well, I'm, old, I'm old enough to be his grandmother. Oh, really, yeah. that doesn't yeah. bother me at all. Right. I play on the fact sure. that people are puzzled. I often sit in the like you. We no, quite a lot of gigs. We sit in the audience before yeah. we go on. And I was at a gig on Saturday night. I was sitting in the audience, and I, I'm older than everyone else there, always by ten years and sometimes mm. by twenty years. And I can see people looking at me, thinking, "What's that old woman doing there?" And sometimes they chat to me, think, thinking, "Poor old soul." And then when I go on stage and I do my act, it's great. <laughs> but I was a bit, yeah, it was just great to see the reaction. But on Saturday it was funny for two reasons because um, this there was there was this man, uh, not that much younger, man about my age and somebody younger. They'd been heckling all the way through. They they, they knew the MC and I hadn't been on. And he, the, the the younger man came up to me in the last interval before I was due to go on. And, hello, hello, dear lady. You know, I've seen you sitting on your own. Um, I'm lucky to see you at that. Nice to meet you. What's your name? And I said, oh, Sally. And he said, oh, okay. And I said, well, actually, now you've spoken to me, can I ask you something? I'm going to be going on stage after the interval and I can't cope with hecklers. So can I ask you and your friend not to heckle? (laughs) And he he said, okay. And he didn't. And he heckled everyone else. Great. So it was quite useful. <laughs> quite useful. But then when I went on, the MC said, here comes Sally Firth, who's just won King Gong at the comedy store. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I know you mean well, but please yeah. don't tell them that. Yeah. And after he said, I'm sorry, he said, I'm sorry that I did that. I know mm. it's supposed to be your first gig. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You won the comedy store, Gong Show. Yes. How was that? What oh, happened? Tell me about it. It was wonderful. I, I've, I mean, I, I've, I've won... I, I, I do quite well at Gong Shows. I mm. don't do well at industry competitions if you like and I keep on trying I never get past the first round but again because of the the difference between what I look like and what I sound like and what people expect Mm. when I walk on stage at a gong show there's nearly always a ripple of disbelieving laughter 
fine. Right. And I've won quite a lot of golf shows. Right. But you know, of course, that the the, the jewel in the I think the jewel in the crown is winning King Kong yeah. at London Comedy yeah. Store. And I've done the Comedy Store in Manchester, and I didn't win. Mm-hmm. But I did get to the final three last year. Yeah. And, um, yes, I won Beat the Frog, uh, the Frog and Bucket, the same weekend. And then mm. when I went back for the next round, I didn't even beat the Flipping Gong, Ugh. which is mm. a bit embarrassing because I've got some friends from Leeds to come and watch me. Yeah. So, I've, yes, I've, you know that the comedy store in, in London, you can only apply every six months. Mm. And I did it, obviously, a year ago, first of all, and didn't beat the Gong, fine. And then I did it... Uh, uh, on Halloween last mm. year, which was the most horrific night ever, mm. it was they were baying for blood, mm. but at the same time it was so exciting. Oh, people going up on stage and just really good people that I knew opening their mouth, bang off they go. <laughs> and of course I got gonged off there, yeah. and I thought I'm going to have another go. I'm going to have another go. So I uh, wrote in, and, and, and you know I did it. It was the, the last uh, Sunday, last uh, Monday in June. And I have worked really hard to hit the ground running. And that's, again, you're more experienced than me, but I've learned that you've got to be funny right from the beginning. They haven't got time to get to know you, not in a gong show. And so I had invented a new opening line specifically for amused moose because you were because amused moose you only had i don't know 30 seconds or something ludicrous 90 i think it's 90, 90 seconds, seconds. yeah but it's, you know, it was a minute and a half it's not much is it no no so i but i invented a new opening line just yeah. for that because i knew that and, and i've been using it ever since and i used that when i came on and it just when i went and again i i got advice from another comedian which is go on early before they're fed mm. up and drunk so i was on i arrived at plenty of time and i mm. went and i was on about third or fourth I walk on stage immediately. They laugh because what's that old woman doing up there? And so I start off with my uh, sounded opening line, which is, so thank you all very much for coming to support me in my age concern comedy challenge. Mm. And they like that. And then it was just wonderful. They just loved everything I did and I've got a video and everything. Brilliant. Uh, When you go back for your spot? Friday the 13th of October. Oh, no. <laughs> October again. Well, that's fine, though. The, the, well, you know, it, it's a number. It's just a number. Yes, it is. It is. I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Yeah. And I'm very grateful. I mean, it was wonderful. It was it was the best night ever. I've got, um, yeah. But but I probably should have stayed around, chat to people. But my way is I always just go straight home after the gig. And I passed. But the funny thing was, and I also always try and wear distinctive clothing, mm. even though people usually know it's me because I'm old, when I do a gig... I always try and wear something that you can people can remember. So if they want to come and say something mm. nice, they're not going to mix me up with someone else. And if they want to avoid me, they mm. know what I look like. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I was very lucky because there were a few people there performing that I knew mm. and a couple of people who'd just been to watch. I got home and I came out of the train station at South Rice. I was walking down the road and then this somebody shouted from a car, <laughs> well done tonight. I said, excuse me. He said, weren't you just at the comedy store in London? I said, yes, we saw you. This is a middle-aged man and his wife. And they'd obviously come home on the same train and recognise the outfit, I guess, as well. That's great. It was really nice. That's near where you are then, is it? Yes, yes. That's right at my nearest station. I was just walking back to my car. And uh, they they, they saw me walking by and they recognised me. Got one fan near your home, yes, home place. Yes, yes. Well, brilliant. perhaps I should get in touch. Perhaps I'm yeah. actually going to be uh, doing a gig at the Comedy Bunker in Ryslip in October because um, I've always wanted to perform there because yeah. my local yeah. comedy club. Right now, I've got the brilliant video from uh, the Comedy Store. I sent it off to Phil 
and he, he said he had to give me an open, only an open spot. Excellent. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Oh, is it the way in, isn't it? That's it. Oh, yeah, I hope so. I hope Brilliant. so. You said you did some extra work and, and acting. And you did, so you did your teacher training in, in English and drama? The main think? subject was, in the old days, you could get to teach training college doing one main subject. You can't do that now. And you can also become a teacher without, could become a teacher without having a degree, which you right. can't now. Yes, my main subject was English and subsidiaries were music and drama. Mm. Which, which only meant two hours a week of those subjects. And because I was a primary trained, I never really... I did used to run a drama club when I was a learning support assistant at a secondary school. Right. I found some very odd things. Yeah. Um, all these teenage boys trying to get them, moved to get them to move to music. I've always been involved with drama, but yeah. actually, Winter, I'm a terrible actress. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. So uh, I've got no illusions about that, but I've always had to done stuff with drama. And I, so yeah. I started doing... No, as an extra, you don't have to do any acting. Right. I've been in, I've, I've been in, I, did, I started doing extra work yeah. about ten years ago. Yeah, what was what was the first thing you ever did? The first thing I ever did, oh my goodness, an interesting, an early job. It wasn't my first job, but a lot of people are so keen to be extras, they'll do it for nothing, mm. and that's still happening. I don't, I do very little extra work now. And I did, um, I was next on a film called The Infidel, which you may have heard of it. Well, it was written by David Baddiel, mm. and it stars Omar Jalili. Yeah. And it's about a taxi driver, and his wife is played by that beautiful girl who was in The Good Wife. Oh, I can't remember her name. Yeah. I can't remember her name, but um, he's, 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 he's a, I get it the right way around, he's a Muslim taxi driver who finds he's Jewish, or he's a Jewish taxi right. driver who finds he's Muslim. How awful, I can't remember which way around it was. <laughs> anyway... I think both are equally bad, yes, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So that was the idea. And I said, it was written by David Buddy, and Omar Jalili was, was in it. And I was an ex, there was a scene that was filmed in, in a meeting, and we, and we filmed it on the roof of a Somerset house near Waterloo, and we had to meet in this car park near Waterloo Station, uh, early in the morning, as you always do, and it was a really hot day. And then we spent the whole of the day on on this roof of Somerset House, pretending we were people taking part in this meeting. Mm. And it was really, really hot. We got really, really tired, and some of us were almost hysterical by the end. Yeah. Uh, well, a lot of the men who were bald had to have the makeup artist putting stuff on their head to stop them getting burnt. Mm. I remember that. We were getting paid, but at the end of the day, we had to queue up to get our money. It was £12. Oh. We got £12 in our hand. I mean, that's so insulting. Absolutely. The whole day. Yes, for the whole day. Uh, but that, that, that was what... I mean, I, I did lots of jobs for nothing in those days. Mm. I didn't know any better. That was an early job. I can't, mm. I can't remember what my first job is. I wrote, I wrote everything down, mm. though. Every single extras job I've, mm. I've, I've done, I've got a little book, and I'm the same with all my gigs as well. Memoir, same, I'm the same. Yes. I have to write down every gig, no matter how it went, no matter what happened. Yes. I, I had one... Uh, I had a gig the other day that was uh, 666, and I was like, oh, no. And it was, it was, it was for a charity gig. And I was like, I'm sure I'm coming up to, you know, because you know how many gigs you're coming up to. Yes, like, yes. I'm sure this, I'm getting close to that number, but let's not think about that number. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Wow. So your, your, your extra stuff, right? Hmm. Your, you, do you, did you do any auditions as well? or? I like did a few auditions. And in fact, um, yes, I did. Most of the extras work, most of the extras work, you don't audition. Hmm. You get, you either just apply by email and you get, because you don't have to, as an extra, it's just a body. But I did audition for one, and and, and sadly, yes, um, Lee Nelson, Simon Brodkin, Uh right? He had, as Lee Nelson, he had a comedy show going, and it's actually very low because he was all filmed in the the Seuss St Albans Hospital. 
I, I applied for, for, a, for an extras job and I had to audition at the, the production company, which was in Chelsea or I can't remember where it was mm. anyway. And I went along to the offices and I sort of ran through the very brief audition bit. And there was a chap sitting in the corner of the room and I didn't realise who he was. And he listened and said hello. I think he said hello, my name is Simon. And I didn't realise that mm. it was Steve Nelson in his, in his real self. And after he shook my hand and said, nice to meet you, and wandered off. And after he'd gone out of the room, they said, you do realise that's Neil Nelson, don't you? And I said, no, I didn't. Mm. Anyway, I did get the extra part. Yeah. And I was a pal with the hospital penny who used to play, used to, one of his characters was a, was a bonkers doctor. Right. And I was a hospital patient in this bed in this disused St Albans hospital that we filmed in. But sadly, it never made it to TV. Mm. But that's, yes, I've had very few auditions, mm. and, and most of them I haven't got through because I can't really act. Mm. Um, I'm just I'm just a body. I'm an extra in Skyfall. Oh, yeah. Which I've never seen myself. Blonde girl, then, <laughs> yes, eh? That's yes, it? Yes. Wow, I didn't know. <laughs> um, right at the end, there's this, there's this and I've, I've never watched the whole film through, yeah. um, there's, there's a scene where, where he's uh, James Bond is chasing uh, Javier uh, Bardem uh, along a, uh, through a tube station and mm. on a train, and I was one of the tube passengers in that. Yeah. And that was the filming of that was really exciting because mm. we filmed for two days um, under Charing Cross Great. Uh, State under Charing, the Charing Cross Hotel. They 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 had a, a bit of tube line that wasn't being used, and we used it for the filming. And you can't see me, but I was in that. But um, there's a film, another film I was an extra in. The, the most recent one really was um, Steve Coogan played Paul Raymond, the, right. uh, the 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 porn star and okay. property magnate. And it was meant to be called The King of Soho, but his family wouldn't let let um, or somebody wouldn't let them use that name so it ended up being called The Look of Love and it wasn't a particularly good film but I was an extra in it and they were very short of money so one day they got 20 extras 10 men and 10 women and they filmed three scenes set in three eras the 50s the 60s and the 70s and each extra and the makeup was fantastic and we were each made up three times for these three scenes the same 20 people so I was in a there was a court scene. They took me out of that. In the end, there was a court scene. There was an auction scene, and then there was that. The court scene was in the nineteen fifties. The auction scene was the nineteen sixties, and the last scene was a coroner's court because Paul Raymond's daughter died of a drug overdose, and it was set in the coroner's court. And you can't really see me in the second one. The, the makeup and the costume was absolutely fantastic, absolutely brilliant. But in the third one, there is a shot where it sort of pans through the coroner's court, and I'm actually on screen at the same time as Steve Coogan, who looked at his mobile whenever whenever the uh, shooting finished, and then another comedian messaged me on mm. Facebook and said, I've just seen you on TV, because you did recognise me. Brilliant. Which, which is fun. I mean, I didn't have anything to say. Yeah. So being an extra is OK, yeah. but it's not as much fun as being stand-up. That's you know? true. That's it. You're just, a little, you're just like, you're like furniture, aren't you? Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. And, they, and sometimes you get treated very badly. Very uh, true. Yeah. Very true. But why did you start stand-up? Uh, I've thought about this. Well, it was by accident. Oh. Um, to, because, as I said, I was I was going through a divorce and I'd also been made redundant and I was living in the same house as my husband while yeah. we were getting divorced and that wasn't much fun. Mm. I spent a lot of time upstairs on the computer just playing on the internet and mm. I was on this, this uh, website, Star Now, looking for extras jobs, which I was able to do because I was unemployed and then I just saw the advert for Bentley's course and it just said... Um, do you, and I, I mentioned I saw him the other day, and I mentioned it to him, and he didn't realise that I'd got it through Star Now. I think oh. he thought I'd come, got it through Meetup, and he just said, "You know, if you ever wanted to do stand up, free, free, free taster course, mm. come along to the Royal Festival Hall, 
and uh, have a go. And I did go along and then uh, then sort of signed up. Yeah. But I have always wanted to do stand-up. Oh. Uh, without a doubt, it, it was. It, I never thought I'd actually do it. I've always been a big fan of stand-up comedy. Mm. And in the 1980s, I went to the original comedy store and saw quite a few people. Oh, wow. When I worked in London, I used to go to the, rec- the BBC radio recordings of things like Goodness Gracious Me and things yeah. like that before they got to TV. Yeah. So I've always been a fan of comedy. Great. But... Not mainstream comedy, mm. you know. I do like some stuff, but I like yeah. stuff that's a bit dark uh, and yeah. a bit risky. So, what's your uh, what's your flavour then? Uh, Chris Morris. Right. I was rewatching Jam only a couple of days ago because my internet went down, so I had to watch a DVD. Mm. I think I, I, I mean, I'd, li- I'd like to meet Chris Morris, but at the same time, I'm terrified of him because the man's got the most weird imagination. But mm. he's behind so many things I admire. I mean, if you. I don't know no, him. No, no. Well, he's, he's, no, he. Well, he. Um, he was part of the team behind the Day Today, right. where Alan Partridge was created. Everyone okay, right. So, Alan, so the Day Today was written by him, by him, and also Amanda Unucci, who everyone mm. has heard of. And Chris Morris played the the uh, the newsreader there. Right. Uh, and he's just really funny, but he's also written. He also wrote wrote a whole series of cod documentaries. Mm. He used to be on uh, BBC Radio London, as it then was, and he mm. and he what he what his speciality is uh, going up to members of the public in those days and asking them completely nonsensical questions. <laughs> and instead of them saying what the hell are you talking about, they pretend they understand oh, yeah. and make real, real real fools of themselves. Yeah. But he's uh, yes, he's, he he did a series called Jam, and also these these. I've seen documents. Jam. I've seen yeah, Jam. Yes, yes. yes he's very very jam. dark. Isn't oh, it? terribly it's dark. A, this, is there a, there's a one when he's a doctor or something? Is that right? Well, that, well, he, he he doesn't normally play a doctor. He normally gets an older chap to play the doctor. Mm. Um, but yes, I mean, there's there's one there's one horrible st- one story, but one that stuck in my mind. And lots of the people who are in it, Mark Heaps in it, right. uh, very good people. There's one really bizarre one um where he's making fun of the london property market which mm. you can still do uh, <laughs> and the things people used to do to 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 to, to secure a house sale uh-huh. and there was one sketch you can call it a sketch where uh this this woman was, was, was told she could only buy this man's house if she slept with him but i'm 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 making it sound much nicer than it actually yeah. was uh it's and yeah. the, the background music and the the the, the dark colours it's yeah. it's terrifying yeah. um i like stuff that's a bit weird yeah, great. and frightening and is there anything in the, the uh, recent culture that you you can connect with like in on that same sort of vein <laughs> no, i mean not be i'm not I'm sorry that's uh, the wording of that is terrible but you know what i'm saying sorry, like anything any, no no but you know like anything of, of like in comedy currently, currently that you kind of go that you go that you go oh yeah that's i like that's nearly what i like but not uh, totally as dark as Stuart Lee. i like Stuart Lee. and i was i came very late to Stuart Lee. um i wasn't really aware of lee and herring that's right. Yeah. But um, what happened was he had a TV series on a couple of years ago and I got Netflix yes. and I picked it, picked it up on a Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle Great. and I adored it. And then I got to see him live, I was in High Wycombe, I think, oh. last year. And I just loved it. Yeah. And I feel a bit stupid because it's sort of, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm jumping on the bandwagon. I think he's brilliant. Mm. But what was interesting, before I was aware of him, 
so I used to read people, see people writing saying, oh, that, that comedian is trying to sound like Stuart Lee. Mm. And I didn't know what they meant. Mm. And then when I saw them on the stage, I realised what they were doing. Mm. The, the, the layering, the way he, yeah. the way he tells a joke. I just yeah. love him. Yeah. And lots of other people, but I mean, he's the one that comes to mind because yeah. I, I discovered him very late. I, I, yes, I'm, and there's a lot of comedians that people find funny that I don't find funny. Oh, Sean Locke I really like as well. Oh, one of my favourites. Yes. One of my favourites. Yes. So playful and silly. Yes, um, yes. And what's the pet peeve of yours that you... Like, you were talking about, like, old male comedians talking about this stuff on stage. What is your pet peeve that you see? Well, I would, yeah, I would say... And, you see, because I'm, I was raised on the open mic circuit, sure. uh, I've, I've, and I've done nearly 400 gigs, I... These are things that annoy me as a as a comedian, if I may call myself that, that probably wouldn't draw the audience member. It's when people go on and say, you know, how are we all doing? What do you do for a living? Hmm. Um, what's the other one? Oh, yes, uh, shout out who, who's got children. Hmm. Or shout out who's in a partnership. And then the reverse. Oh, that makes people sound happier. Hmm. I just find that really tedious. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I, my character never asks people how they are. Mm. I don't interact with the audience. That's because I'm not very good at it. But there are certain things I, you know, when you you you, you do a bill with ten other comedians, they mm. all go and say, "Hey, yeah, how are you all doing? Mm. Don't waste your time with yeah. that." That's it. And Have uh, you got pet peeves? Are you? Uh, I, oh, I think, I think, I think Tinder. Tinder is one for me. Just like if you if you got a really good joke about it, great. But it's just like there's a Pokemon, Tinder. <laughs> Okay. Well, you see, I find that quite that's useful. Yeah. You see, because because the the, the basis of my act is uh, using uh, things that people recognise, and mm. it will be used over and over again. Yeah. And I didn't know that people. I've never heard people talk about Pokemon. Yes, Tinder, mm. internet dating. Because when I first started doing stand up, Tinder wasn't the thing. It was just gen- internet dating. And I did used to talk about that, mm. but I can't talk about it as Sally because Sally's married. But when I first started doing comedy, I was acting as if I was already divorced mm. and I was doing internet dating and I, I had a, I had quite a lot of stuff about that and I've tried to reuse it, tried to recycle it into yeah. Sally and it doesn't really work unless I, I pretend it's her friend Angela yeah. who's divorced and I do that as well. I'm actually searching for the moment for more because I don't do so much open mic, I'm searching for those hack to- topics that mm. Sally can talk about. Because yeah. you, you're, you're separated from the from yourself by a, a really thin veil, okay, aren't you? Yeah. And it's just thin enough to kind of to feel relaxed because it's all about being comfortable up there, isn't it? Yes. And you have developed this character just to go, okay, right, this is just like a suit. I'm just going to, sort of one little protective layer that yes. covers me and I can do this. And it's just, it's a great idea. It's because it just gives you that little bit of breathing space to deliver your jokes and be comfortable. You can develop, de- deliver these topics ironically and go, well, you know, this is this is my son, this, it's fine, and it gives you that separation. So even if they don't like a subject, they can they can go along with it. E- either way, isn't it? Well, you know, it's your son, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> you know? Yes. So what is the next move then, Sean? Uh, I'm, I would like to, well, I'd like to get more paid gigs. I am yeah. getting paid gigs. I have got 20 minutes of material yeah. and... But it's not all good. It needs work. I'm still writing new stuff. And I've, I've tried out a new joke twice in the last week. It hasn't had the reception that I'd hoped for. And I've got to work on that. Mm. But I'd like to have a solid 20-minute set mm. that I can do as a, you know, take round clubs mm. and get paid for. Mm. I don't think I will ever 
do an Edinburgh show. I doesn't it doesn't really appeal to me, but I just like to get regular gigs, you know, once a week, twice a week, on a Friday or a Saturday, doing a, a solid twenty minute set. And I'm, at the moment, I get paid gigs about once a month, not very much, and, um, I, and I'm still having to apply. Uh, occasionally, I get asked. But it's just just to have a really good twenty minutes. I'd I'd like to make people cry with laughter. Some yeah. people manage to do that, mm. and I haven't. And I'd like to do that mm. just to be better, yeah. um, to write better stuff. So you were saying before we started recording, you said that you're slowly starting to change and bring more of yourself into your act. Like Sally is becoming more you. You're saying. And I, Talk about your. Well, I was just, I was, I was just saying, I was saying that really Sally isn't anyone. It just really is me. It's yeah. my thoughts. But what's important for for me as when I'm playing, Sally's got to be likable, mm. and in general, she's likable. People do like her, and I have, <laughs> I'm not that likable, and so I, there are some things I have to be careful mm. not to say because right. I don't want to alienate the audience. I have got a, a, a joke that always makes people gasp. But it makes them laugh as well, mm. and I don't think anyone's ever gone away thinking that's 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 too far because it's it's a good, mm. it's my best joke. Yeah. I would never drop it. Yeah, yeah. But I would never want to. For instance, I, Sally can't read the Daily Mail, okay, right. because that would alienate too many people. Mm. She could be a racist because that would alienate too many people. I don't mm. think she does read the Daily Mail or she's racist. But a lot of my girlfriends read the Daily Mail mm. and they're lovely people. They, but. In the comedy world that you mm. and I move in, uh, nearly all the comedians are left-wing mm. and they regard the Daily Mail as a most appalling paper. Mm. So she can't read the Daily Mail. Right. Okay. <laughs> so like, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's the, but, so you're, uh, okay, so you're just trying to fashion her into like a, like a person that can, there's no, there's no way that they can be disliked in any way that's it but like you're I to be fair I'm going to say the same thing I find personally on stage when I first started I was incredibly unlikable that's what I felt of, of me you know and then like but I think that was just out of fear Yes. When I was first on stage, I think that was, and that was just like, it gave me an awful lot of energy, which made me <laughs> incredibly <laughs> repellent to an audience, I oh, felt. That's what I, that's what okay. I felt, you know? Okay. And, uh, but that might be a huge amount of paranoia on my part. The more you get comfortable up there, the more likable you, ho- well, you hopefully become. Yes, there are some comedians, though, who thrive on being dislikable. Yeah. Uh, there's some on the open mic circuit, and there's, mm. like, there's people like Frankie yeah. Boyle on mm. the, you know, the professional circuit. Mm. But he, in also, but also he has a test the boundaries of where he can go. Yeah. There is still an inherent, like sort of mischievousness that everyone likes about him. It's like he's, he's just playing. Do you not find that? I, I, I listen to him. Yeah. Uh, I have a, um, I have access to a lot of comedy mm. material at the moment. Yeah. And I've listened to everybody to learn. And, and and I I can't like him really, uh, oh. but I listen to him because yeah. he's because he's interesting and also which is successful. Mm. But he is so so cruel. Mm. Still funny, but not likable. I don't sure. find him likable okay. in any way. Okay. All right. No, that's cool. That's just yeah, opinions. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, that's, yes, that's, yes. that's not but right or wrong. Answer. It doesn't mean that I won't listen to him. Mm. But I, no, I I, yeah. I don't even I don't find him mischievous. No, I no. don't. Keep, okay. So some of the things mm. I've heard. I've, I've, I've got a couple of CDs uh, made from his DVDs, and I, I'm not saying I don't find it funny because a lot yeah. of that I do, but he's also very, very cruel, and, yeah. and he doesn't come across as likable. 
uh, you talk about your OCD. Do you mind talking about no, that? No, not at all. Okay, no. so so you talk about that on stage now as well, don't you? Yes, yes. Very briefly, talk about it on stage right at the end because um, I've got this list of topics, and one of the topics that Johnny has written down is the word anal, right. and I put that down because lots of comedians talk about it, yeah. but I twisted it round, and I think that he's talking about. Uh, being anally retentive, you see. Mm. So I just say, oh, um, well, he's written anal. Well, I am quite anal. Mm-hmm. And that newly gets laughed because people are like, she's not going to talk about that. <laughs> and then I say, I can't drink coffee out of mug mark tea. Mm. And that's true. And I and I um, had a panic attack last week in Sainsbury's because I got to the checkout and all I had were Tesco's bags. Mm. And there's a couple of other things. It's not perfect, mm. anyway. And I was, I was going home on the train with Zara Barry from a gig mm. uh, a few weeks ago. And you always have the best chats on the way home. You can't really have a chat during the gig. And we were all on the train from Tunbridge to wherever it was, go yeah. Charing Cross or something. And she said, and I was telling her about this, and she said, oh, you should do more about it. Mm. Because she found it very entertaining when yeah. I was telling her about the other things I did mm. that to do with my OCD about yeah. wearing certain clothes at certain times. And oh. then I had a conversation with another comedian who I won't name, who's also got very similar OCD to do with clothes right. as well. So there's a lot of this about. Yeah. And Gwilym Argos, mm-hmm. I looked at his uh, comedy CV for some reason the other day, and he it actually says he's got OCD on his mm. on his CV. Like, do you have Netflix? Yes. Do you find that incredibly difficult then, because you want to watch everything? Oh no, no. <laughs> I mean, obviously, um, OCD is uh, everybody's OCD is different. Sure. Uh, and I and I mean I, 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 I say this all the time. I watch a programme called Obsessive Compulsive Cleaners right. and very sadly my OCD doesn't mean that I'm obsessively compulsively clean. Right. I'm not you know, I, I live alone and I'm not particularly I'm not keen on housework. Mm. So my OCD applies in some areas but not in others. No, no I don't interesting you mention that because I used to work with a bloke that I think he probably had OCD. Mm. He he thought it was his job to watch every single new film release. Yeah, and uh, nobody told him to do that. But no, I've got to go and see all these films mm. because they've just come out. I've got to go and see them. Uh, yeah. No, I don't. No, I don't know. It's not like that. It's just to do with with. Um, it's mostly to do with things be- things belonging together. For instance, yeah. uh, you, you know, you've made me a cup of coffee yeah. in a mug marked mushroom soup. Right. Uh, and I mention it because it's funny because I wouldn't do that. Mm. And if I have a couple of people round for coffee. I've got matching mugs. Obviously, yeah. we, they, they have the matching mugs. Mm. Uh, but my, when my, my daughter and her boyfriend come to stay, he often makes us a cup of tea. And the other mm. day, he brought in cups of tea. They were, we all had a mug, and none of the mugs matched. And I said, Tom, <laughs> you know that I've got matching mugs up there. Why, yeah. why have you not brought in mugs that match? He said, yeah. well, it, it tastes, of course, it tastes yeah. the same. Mm-hmm. That's, that's yeah. just... You want to relax while you're drinking the tea, don't well, you? Really? That's it. I can't, I can't, you know, it, 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 it makes sense yeah. to drink, to do, you know, if you've got, you know, if, if it was, if, pe- if matching things didn't matter, why do people buy matching dinner services? That's true, yeah. But then my friend's daughter, who's about 30, she makes a big deal about not having matching china. She serves all her meals on non-matching china. Yeah. She doesn't like stuff that matches. Yeah. Let's keep things, do you do improv uh, as well as doing the comedy course? No, I hate improv. Yeah. I do. Yeah, that's why I hate it. I, 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 I can't cope at all. Yeah. It's weird because in my daily life, I think I deal with all sorts of situations pretty well. Cope with all sorts of things that happen to me, but I can't do improv. And I can't. I can't um, 
banter on stage. I can't cope with a uh, different situation. I've got my script. I've got to stick to it. I did do an improv course at the Bill mm. Murray yeah. about six months ago, and it was run by the chap from the Pajama Men, mm. Shanoa Allen. And it was so hard for me, mm. and I was really out of my comfort zone. And there was one particular bit where I had to pretend to be opening a door. <laughs> you would think that would be difficult. And I couldn't get it. And in the end, I said to him, I just, I just can't do it anymore. And he said, OK, OK, fine, fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this really, I can't, I mean, I'm not good at mine. Yeah. I, I just no improv. Damn it, hey, no good at mine. That's a shame, eh? <laughs> there goes your mind career, Sean. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so did you finish the course? Or just one day. Oh, the the the, the improv. Yeah, it was yeah. just a one day. It was right. a one day course. Yes, um, and uh, it just proved to me that I'm never going to be any good improv. Right. Um, yeah, I just I'm, I just I've got no interest in improv, but but some people like it, and and. Yeah. and uh, and also, if you, a lot of people have said to me, if you want to progress as a comedian, you should MC. Oh, that's great. And um, I don't want to MC. No, that's it. It's fair. Because I can't banter with the audience. Mm. Whenever something unexpected occurs at a gig, I completely mess it up. I can't do, can't deal with it. That's it. But well, you're doing really well. You won the King Gong, so you know, just got to write your twenty minute set and. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I've, got, I've just yes. I mean, I've got I've got twenty minutes. I've just, I've just got to to work to to improve on it. Yeah. And I can't exist on. But that five minute video, uh, yeah. I think, has already got me a couple of gigs. Great. Hopefully. Yeah. Right. You're gonna try clown next, or? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. No, no. I, 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 no. I, I've got. I've got very uh, strict parameters. <laughs> no, no. Right. I, I don't think. I think when I did, when I applied for that, I think I didn't really know what I was applying for. I can't remember what I thought it was, yeah. but I couldn't turn round and run away when I realised. Yeah. No, I wasn't comfortable. I mean, I do. I do sometimes try and um, get out of my comfort zone, yeah. but I can't see any purpose in that. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of comedians. I mean, there's a one, uh, Russell Hicks, for instance, you know, you mm. can get up on stage and just do every talk about different things every time. Well, it's just not my way. Mm-hmm. There's room for us all on the circuit. Of course. You're doing the Camden Fringe? Yes. And you go to Edinburgh this year as well? Go to Edinburgh, just doing the spots and compilation shows, right. yes. And is that, so three men and babe are going to Camden Fringe, right? Yes, yes, the first week uh, in August. And then uh, just going to do spots in Edinburgh, is yeah, that right? Yeah. Right. Where can we, else can we come see you? Oh, I wasn't expecting you to ask. Um, I have got a website, but it's not up to date. So it's 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 it just put in shawndoughty dot com. You'll find it. I, I can't. I mean, I I'm, I haven't got any gigs now before Camden. But can you? Know, I need to, to make sort of tune things up. So it's the first week. It's the when it's the first week of August. It's the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth right. of August at the Etc Theatre from four thirty to five thirty, and all over Edinburgh. Begging yeah. spots and <laughs> yes, and then yes, the comedy store on the thirteenth of October, oh, and yes. Rice's Comedy Bank on the twentieth, both of which I'm really excited I'll about. Bet, yeah, yeah. And is there anything you do to pre-gig to uh, to just calm yourself down? No, not really. I make sure I eat. I mm. always, I mean, I always take. Uh, now, since I've got divorced, I live nearer to the centre of London, so I can eat beforehand. But mm. I used to live quite far out, mm. and it would take me an hour and a half to get to a gig, and uh, I'd have to leave quite early. So I would take 
food with me mm. and I do I do take I still sometimes I do take my my meal with me and I mm. did a gig last year and the other comedian Ed DeCanter we were doing a gig together he's not gigging anymore oh. and we both we're both of an age and we both got out the Tupperware container at the same time <laughs> and started eating I was very pleased that he yes that he, he did the same yeah. um I've got a thing to eat and I've always got water with me I don't get nervous except just before I go on stage, mm. every time mm. I'm standing in the wings and I think, what am I doing? Mm. What am I, I must be mad. I'm yeah. 61 years old. I mean, this is ridiculous. But, but that's the only time I get nervous. Yeah. Yeah. Will you keep on entering the competitions as well? Or are you just going to gig on the circuit? <sighs> I will, because the only reason I want to enter a competition uh, is, is I want to be reviewed by a professional reviewer. Mm. And nobody, um, Steve Bennett, lucky man, has never seen me. Mm. Bruce Desso has never seen me. Mm. And no, no, no one else that I know of that. Well, I mean, uh, Hill, um, Hills Jago see me, but mm. she obviously thinks I was very good. Well. Um, I've got some quite nice quotes from from uh, uh, serious promoters, if you like. Mm. But I really would like uh, a, a professional reviewer to see yes. me. I did enter the Silver Comedian oh. uh, uh, of the year, and I sent a video, and they sent. I didn't have to do the first round, and the semi-finals were in Leicester. Mm. Semi-final, stroke final in Leicester in February, I think it was, and um, there was a massive storm, and all the lines, uh, all the, the, the lines came down, and there were no trains running to oh. Leicester from uh, Euston, so I couldn't yeah. go, oh. which was a real shame because I because I would have professional people would have seen me. Yeah. Mm. Um, but that's the only reason I keep doing it because I don't I, I, I don't do well in competitions. Mm. Um, and I, now I've won the gong show at the comedy store, I this I don't think I can go any further with the mm. gong show because that's the hardest isn't that the hardest gong show, I think don't you so. think? I think so, yeah, I think that is. But but I mean obviously it's not the end, it's the beginning. I've done up, up the creek three times mm. and I've beaten I haven't won, but mm. I've uh, beaten the blackout three times. Mm. And I went up after the last time and I said, Look, I've beaten the blackout three times, three years, three different mm. times, three years. Um, though I haven't won, could mm. I get a spot? And he yeah. said, oh, we think about you possibly for Sunday night, but I haven't heard anything. Mm. I'm not going to go back. The thing is, the awful thing is, if you've already beaten the gong and then you go back and yeah. then you don't beat the gong, it's a re- retro step. So yeah, I won't ever try the comedy store gong again in case I fail. That's it, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, if you, you just want to hopefully do well at that spot you've got on the 13th. Yes, ho- hopefully. And uh, I'm sure you will. And, like, you know, then just a longer spot then, isn't it? Yes, I mean, I'm not... The thing is, I, I know that I'm not what people want. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I'm not everybody's cup yeah. of tea. So I, I, I don't have any illusions about making a living out of it or, or, or doing really well. But there are certain people that think I'm funny and as long as I can find my audience. But they tend to be out of London, you know, mm. they tend to be cricket clubs and, and, and social clubs and stuff, middle-aged people. Uh, they like my stuff. But... Funny's funny, Sean. That's it. Funny's funny. Doesn't matter how old you are. Well, That's it. but I'm, I'm not. I'm not what people are looking for. Any, anyway, but, but no, I, I, I'm, I'm very lucky that mm. I've had. I've had uh, you know a lot of fun in the last four years. Yeah. Great. So we can find you at SeanDodge.com and you are Sally Firth is your character yes yes you can find her online as well can we find her online well there's loads of YouTube videos probably too many I should get rid of the rubbish ones (laughs) just look at the last one the comedy store one which I've which I have written underneath you know with the set that won King Gong because there's no point being being coy exactly. this this stage of the game. Are you on Facebook as well with uh, Sally Firth? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm on my own name, Sean Doughty. That's my married name. I didn't bother to change that when I got divorced. It was too many other things to think about. But underneath, yeah. I've got in brackets, Sally Firth. Great. Yeah. 
Okay, well, we'll see you at the Camden Fringe yes. or in Edinburgh. Yes, well, thank you very thank much, Fringe. No, thanks for coming to the show. <laughs> thank it's great. You. Yeah, thank yeah, you. It's great. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Lovely. And that was the very funny Sean Doty, a.k.a. Sally Firth. She's got her first 10-minute spot in the Comedy Store in London on the 13th of October. So go and see her, go and support her. Very funny comedian. Go check her out on Facebook, Twitter, all of those places. You can also follow this podcast on Twitter at The Comedy Defect. You can also follow me at Winter Phonander. You can also see my live stand-up gig dates which are on my website, which Danny Clives is still fixing, which is at winterphonander.com. That's where it is. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon. You go to Patreon if you feel like you want to donate something, donate as little as a pound, or as much as you feel this podcast is worth. And those of you that do donate, thanks, because you're paying for the people that can't. And those of you that can't donate, hey, look, just go to your iPhone, because you can like leave a nice, honest review on iTunes now via your phone now, which is great. So leave us a nice, honest review, because it really helps. But that's it for this episode of the Comedy Defect Podcast. That was episode 53 with a very funny Sean Doty, a.k.a. Sally Firth. We'll see you next month for episode 54. And go join the Comedy Defect Facebook group to find out who that is. We'll see you next month, guys.